Atlanta Falcons, the underdogs, were ahead 28-3 to with six less than six minutes on the clock at the Super Bowl uh, in 2017. So to say, you know, we had had our small group over our house, our community group, and to say they were delighted at the seven-minute mark was an understatement. They thought this was the most wonderful thing, and uh, they, 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 their smiles couldn't be any larger. Um, their comments were just unkind and unchristlike to me. Kevin Rector, wherever you are. And uh, it, was just, it, was just a, it was just a miserable thing until the unexpected happened. In the underdogs, the Falcons started to crumble, dare I dare say, under the supremacy of the New England Patriots. And the fact is that in the NFL, the underdogs only pull it out and win 34 Point two percent. All the other times, the Giants, the winners, not the Giants as in the Giants football team, but you know, the, the, they, if they have the upper hand, they usually pull it off. The underdogs, 30, what did I say, 34.2%. Uh, and, and now we call that a Goliath story when the underdogs take over and win. And uh, Malcolm Gladwell, back in 2013, actually wrote a book on it, and some of us are familiar with it. The Underdog, David and Goliath, The Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Becoming Giants. And his whole premise was, is these underdogs have these attributes nobody's expecting, and at the last minute, they bring it to the game of life or the game of business or whatever it is, and they take down the Goliaths. And uh, some of us who have uh, grown up and uh, going to church, we know David and Goliath over and over and over again. And uh, we, we know that story, or at least we think that story. And often we think of it in the setting that if you and I put the right pieces together in our own life, even though we might be the size of a David, we can take down the giants in our lives. And, and there's nothing wrong to a degree with that application of the David and Goliath story. Um, there's, you know, it gets a little far-fetched when uh, they start to look at how many rocks there are and they start to give rocks as like attributes. Like I've heard messages where one rock represents your prayer time, one represents reading. They were just five, four or five rocks and uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit more. But the idea of this whole thing of giants and uh, champions and I just got a text message. I shouldn't say that because now I'm going to get them all the time from Kevin Rector. God, that hurts. I can't say that. Um, just kidding. But anyway, um, but the whole idea of this of destroying the giants in our lives, of being a champion, it gets a little mixed up as we talk about this subject. Um, let's uh, turn right over to First Samuel. We'll start to unpack this a little bit. First Samuel chapter 17. Uh, we're going to look at verse 8. Uh, you have that uh, rack Bible if you want to follow along. There's Bible, uh, there's the page numbers there. Also, uh, your version app on your device. You can look at that that way. But uh, we'll expect to see this story unpack. But we're going to jump in at verse 8 and then make some comments. So verse 8 says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up 
for battle. I am not, a, am I not a Philistine and you are the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. Sometimes choose a champion. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become the subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So Goliath is calling out to have a champion. And in a sense, as we've looked through the history of 1 Samuel, we could see that really, in a sense, Saul was supposed to be that champion. I mean, he was taller than everybody else. He wasn't a giant giant, but he was impressive. And so they're calling him out, calling him out, looking for a champion, looking to, to see who can fight their Goliath. Now, when we hear the word champion, it was interesting to me to find out that champion actually means the one in between. The one that gets in between us and an adversary. And it's also interesting if you took time to look at the geography of that area. There were two ridges a mile apart. One army was on one ridge. The other one was on the other ridge. And what they wanted to do is send one person down into the middle where there was a little stream and they'd fight it out. And that was going to be the one in between them, the one representing them. And as you and I think, and we know more of the history of God working through uh, time and over the years and into the New Testament, uh, we realize that, uh, you know, God is our champion. Jesus is our champion. And so when we start to see this imagery from the Old Testament, we realize that it's pointing to Christ someday. We've talked about this idea of seeking the king and uh, the idea that, uh, you know, we're always seeking someone to kind of lead us, to be our champion, to be the one out in front of us. And all this Old Testament history points to the fact that there is no one uh, that can do pull that off. And it all points to Jesus. It all points to a Messiah. So there's some imagery going on in this story that uh, going on with this. They're looking for a king. They're looking for a champion. Saul's not stepping up, and they're just at a stalemate. And uh, we know that uh, in the New Testament, when we hear about Jesus, that Jesus is the one in between for us. If you've said yes to Christ, we have this verse that says that God is on one side and all the people on the other side. And Christ Jesus himself, man, fully man, fully God, is between them. He is the bridge to God. So he is our champion. But go way back and you have this battle. The battle lines have been drawn and they're looking for a champion. They're looking for someone to stand in between. And that is, a, that is like a heartbeat or a passion or a part of our life that is always there. We need someone to stand in between. Between us and the consequences of our disobedience, between us and our sin. And Jesus does that. Jesus is the one who stands in between. He makes it possible. He is our champion. And not just for a battle on, uh, uh, you know, in a war, in, a, in an adversarial thing, but in the, in the battle for our lives, for the battle for our eternity. That's why very frequently at a, a funeral or a celebration of life, we read this verse. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, 
death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It was sin that made death so frightening, and the law code, guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now, in a single victorious stroke of light, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our master, I might put in there, our champion, Jesus Christ. Thank God, with all this going on for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourself into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time. Not living for him is a waste of time. And we can do that. We can throw ourselves into the purposes of God, the work of God, use our whole life, we go over and look at Romans 12.1. I love Eugene Peterson's translation. He talks about us giving our everyday life, every piece, not just what we think are the sacred moments, not just Sunday at 10 a.m., but all of life. And when we give all of life to him, when we're all in, we find that our life makes a difference. And it touches other people's lives, not just our own. But the reason we can do all that, the reason we can engage in God's purposes, the reason we can be an instrument in his hands, the reason we can be the potter in his, uh, the, the clay in the potter's hand is all because we have a champion, Jesus Christ, that has bridged the gap. And once you've experienced that, once you've said yes to Christ, that can change everything if you lean into it and you embrace it. For those of us who are Christians, Christ followers, and we say, it's not working the way I expected it. Some of that could be, not all the cases, but some of that could be is that we're not leaning in. We're not embracing the life he's given us. We're not letting our champion's work on the cross change the way we walk through life. Little personal thing. Uh, this is a picture of, you know, most of you don't see me ever dressed up like this, but this is uh, a picture of an installation service uh, maybe six or seven years ago. Uh, the middle guy is Ruben, one of my closest friends, and he was getting installed, is what they call it, as pastor. Uh, they plug him in like a light bulb. No, it's just, that's, but that's what they call him. This was his service, and so we, so we were there and shared a few words and that kind of a thing. And uh, the person on your right is my also my good friend, Brent. And some of you know Brent uh, from cheering prayer requests. Uh, Brent was diagnosed with cancer last January. And it has been horrendous. Um, just really hard. Uh, he's been a, he was a pastor, been uh, a difference maker partner overseas. He'd also uh, done some work from Samaritan's Purse. And then his last uh, uh, gig, if you will, was uh, managing a uh, big uh, uh, food pantry system uh, in Connecticut with big warehouses and those kinds of things. And around uh, September of last year, he noticed that as he was walking across the floor, he would get winded more than he normally got winded. And so, you know, there was a lot of tests, a lot of this, and, and nothing to, to figure out what was going on until January, and he had to stop working. And uh, he actually stopped working in November, uh, but he was done at the food pantry uh, in January because he just, he just couldn't do it. And they had given him two months off medical leave, and they discovered he had cancer. 
And uh, the doctor said, you know, you're young, you're 55 years old, you, you ought to fight this, you ought to try. If you were a little bit older, I would say, don't. It was aggressive, it was in his, his bones, it was just, it just, just really hard. And so, and so um, this is interesting. So on uh, Friday, we got this little posting. Uh, there's a little thing that we can do, and uh, this is from his wife, Bonnie. It says, we're in the ICU. Uh, Brent's kidneys are failing. He has blood clots in his legs, and almost all the other functions are working against him. The doctor says there's not much more they can do for him and is recommending hospice. And so, um, you know, this is the real kicker. This is one of those situations where your faith is tested, where you have to make the decision, is God still good? My answer is absolutely yes. We have no more hope of receiving disability. It's amazing how this works. They, he could not get disability, even though he's got all this cancer. But the amazing God who Brent has served so faithfully for all these years is prov providing for us in ways we never expected. Please continue to pray for our family as we close out his final chapter or this final chapter in Brent's cancer journey. And some of you know that yesterday, this is what I got in the afternoon. At 1.29 today, my dad, Brent, passed away. He's no longer suffering, and we had a wonderful day with him today. He, he began losing responsiveness this morning, but continued fighting and breathing for us. We're able to take him outside today by the water. It was gorgeous. We spent the day outside sharing memories and love. And it began raining around 1.15, so we brought him inside where his labored breathing began slowing and eventually stopped. This is no doubt that he was surrounded by love and prayer throughout his whole journey. Thank you to each and every one of you for your efforts and encouragement. We know he is with our maker, and the beautiful sight we witnessed today with him outside is nothing compared to the beauty he is living in now in his new body in heaven. Goes on, and the reason I share that with you is is not to be sad, but that to me gives realness to that Corinthians passage that says, "Death, where is your sting?" It's easy for me to say that, but that's basically what Bonnie was saying. That's basically what his daughter was saying, and. If I showed you messages throughout that he's been given, giving us, sending us out, that was always in the message. You see, we desperately need a champion. And the story of David and Goliath isn't a story necessarily of just taking out the giants that are messing up your life. It's a story of a champion. A champion that each one of us needs. One that stands in between and makes it possible for when it's our time to go to heaven, when it's our time for our bodies not to work anymore, that we take the next chapter into life with him. And he stands in the gap for us. Some of us, many of us pray that he'll come back and we'll be spared that. But at the same time, we can have confidence that our champion has prepared a way and so when we think about life and we think about this, and, and Brent would have said this, uh, we went out to visit him once this, uh, th this year, just to, me and Reuben and I went out and uh, just spent some time with him. But he, he would have maybe not said it this way, but this is 
the meaning of all that he, he would say. He would say, if God calls me to it, he'll see me through it. And, 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 he's, and again, him saying it has power. Me saying it, maybe, but him saying it has power. And, and he, he believes that to his last breath. His wife, his daughter, his son, all believe that. So when we look at the story of David and Goliath, really we could say this first few verses, first 31 verses really is about Goliath and Saul. None of us hear the story about Goliath and Saul because that's something we don't really want to celebrate because uh, Saul just kind of crumbled under this. So we have to realize in life, uh, if you're thinking about becoming a Christ follower, if you're trying to figure out what faith is all about and you're kicking the tires of faith, uh, faith is not something that all of a sudden is a magical thing that makes all our problems go away. Again, it comes back to that idea, if God will, calls me to it, he'll see me through it. He'll see us into the next chapter of life. And, and Brent would not want to come back. Heaven is that glorious. Can we describe it? We just know it's better than here, and it, and it, it, will, it, will, it will take our breath away, literally. And so whatever you and I are going through, whatever giants are in our lives, it's not about us becoming the champion. It's about leaning on the champion that is in between. So in life, we have formidable adversaries or the adversary. We talked about this a, a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, Satan, the devil. Uh, he's just not an idea. He's just not a kind of like a way to describe evil in our world. He is a person and uh, a, a angel, a fallen angel, God's number one angel. And uh, we have an adversary and that ripple effects through everything. We have adversary in our life of our own sin. And the adversary is real. We can't uh, diminish that. And just as Goliath was real, I, I read some thoughts where it describes how he's dressed and the and the chain link uh, armor he would wear which would be very expensive uh, it's thought that his weighed about 120 pounds we'll read in a few minutes it's thought that uh, he was nine feet six inches or if they got it wrong he was six nine either way he was a tall man the average age was the average uh, height was five feet at this time so being 6'9 would have been freaking you out. So don't get hung up on the, on the number per se. And that adversary was real. And the, and the chain link was scaly. And there's this idea some would tie the scales go all the way back to the Garden of Eden with the serpent and all of that. I don't know if that's totally in there. That's reading too much between the lines. But the idea that Goliath is representing the adversary and he is real. The adversary is real, and this story is real. This account is real. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped at the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other with the valley in between them. And again, champion, the one in between. And we've talked about this. Uh, this is no afternoon athletic contest this isn't cornhole or uh, uh horseshoes or whatever you do or pickleball uh, we can walk away from and forget sometimes we can't walk away and forget from those games but if we could 
about it in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. And it's a fight that you per se aren't in, like you're engaging, but the champion fights for us. His spirit is within us, and we need to realize that the adversary is real. We need to realize the adversary is imposing. Start to see the description of Goliath, a champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out of the Philistines' camp. He had a height that was six cubits and a span. That's the nine-six or the six-nine. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. All of his armormen, all of that stuff, 120 pounds, and his spearhead, they say, weighed 16 pounds. You ever gone bowling and you're picking out the bowling ball and the biggest one I'm told that they have is the 16-pounder. That's heavy. I used to grew up doing candle pins. They're like the size of a softball. So it's really a rude awakening. We have this big ball, and I would like to use one of the small ones, but my fingers won't fit in them. So, you know, because they think I should be able to throw the 12-pounder or what it throws. See, I kind of like with a candle pin, you kind of like lobbed it. You don't do that with the big balls. But anyway, so heavy, heavy, heavy. This is a big guy. On his legs, he wore br bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was a strung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. And so you've got this just imposing, imposing adversary. He's huge. He's scary. He's well battle seasoned. And when we think of our adversary in this thing called following Christ, the adversary is imposing. He's huge, uh, well-armed, smarter than us, more battle-hardened uh, battle than, than we are. And we need to realize that. We don't need to be, like, afraid. We need to be aware. I say that often, that fine line between being anxious, afraid, and aware. We need to be wise and be aware of the things in life. But we shouldn't be anxious because, again, we have this champion that is in between us. Peter reminds us and warns us, keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping, catch you being careless. Uh, last week or two weeks ago, I was reading an article, and uh, it was down, I think, somewhere in South America, and a, a soccer pro was out and about, and they were in the jungle, and he was caught, and he jumped in the water. He wasn't paying attention. And an alligator actually got him. He's gone. And uh, he wasn't aware. Well, there's, you know, maybe sharks in the water, right? <laughs> but there's alligators in the water. There's lions, and we just need to be aware of that. We need to have a prudence, not a fear. If, uh, you know, they don't let me use power tools too often, but if I was to use a chainsaw, you know, you don't want to be afraid of the chainsaw, but you want to be prudent with it. You want to be aware with it. And if you're anxious with a chainsaw, I bet you make more mistakes. 
If you're careless with it, you make more mistakes. You need to be aware. You need to be prudent. So we need to be aware that our adversary is imposing, and we don't need to be preoccupied with that. We don't need to be uh, lose our head, but we do need to stay alert. Also, we see that the adversary is challenging. Well, we read these verses, but Goliath stood and shouted, and he's basically, bring it on. He was so confident. He was self-confident. He, he thought no one could take him down, that he was invincible. And when you and I are living our lives, we find the adversary is challenging, challenging the things we believe in, challenging that we can trust in God. Even you go back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say that? Challenging, challenging, challenging. We need to understand that. We need to be prepared for that. We need to get that. In 1 John 4, 5, we read, You dear children are from God and have, over, and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. The world, those who are not following Christ, listens to those ideas. You who have said yes to Christ, listen to your champion, the one who stands in between. And you realize that through his spirit, one of the persons of the Trinity, he lives within you. He dwells, he joins himself to your life. And because he joins him to your life, the one that is in you is greater than the one that is outside. And so we have a, not an arrogance, not an overconfidence, but we have a peace and a settledness and a confidence that uh, God is with us. We sang those songs. Opening video said where there's more than one of us together, God is in the midst. And you take that even more true is when you're by yourself, God is in your midst. The idea is that when two people, three people are calling on God's name together, God really delights in seeing his children gather to that. But when you're by yourself, you're not by yourself. God is, is with you. And so that is our viewpoint. So we understand that he challenges us. But then we pull back and we rely on the spirit to uh, come against those challenges. If we went to the uh, Jesus temptations, we'd see that uh, Jesus had God's word in his heart. And he would respond that way. And it's the spirit in him reminding him of those things. That's why Awana is so important to a church like ours. It augments our children's ministry. Both are important to us. And Awana really drives learning the scripture so the spirit can help pull those back up because you've digested them. And so we know that and we have him in here and it reminds us of what the truth is. So if we're going to have Goliaths in our life, if we're not going to become the champion ourselves because we have Christ, how do we deal with the anxiety, the stressful things in our lives? First, we, if we give into it, it will make you lose time and opportunity. It paralyzes you. It stops you from acting. And I'm not talking about acting without thinking. I'm not talking about reacting. But there's a moment where if you give in to the anxiety, that's outside of my comfort zone. I can't have that conversation with that person. I can't have that conversation with my spouse. It causes us to, to give in, and, and then we lose time. 
And time is probably one of our most valuable things we have. Even money, you can earn more of it, but once time is gone, time is gone in the opportunity. So we want to make sure that we're aware, but we're not anxiety-driven. We get back into the story. Now, David was the son of an Ephraim named Jesse, who is from Bethlehem. And remember, uh, it's interesting that uh, Boaz was his, his great-great-great-uncle, and you've got the story of Ruth and all that goes along with that. Judah had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons who had followed Saul to war. The first son was Elab, the second was Abinav, and the thir- third was Shaman. And uh, you remember the story when uh, Samuel met with them and ends up anointing David and passes by these three guys, all seven guys, even though they looked like they had being a king in them. So he looks at the inside, not the outside. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth to the Saul to tend the shepherd's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistines came forward every morning and every evening and took their stand. Every day, Goliath would come out twice a day and just mock them. And they just stood there wondering what would happen. I A week of that would be enough, but it was 40 days. We have to ask ourselves, what giants in our life just hammer us day after day after day? And because we're so anxious, we just quiver and don't move. It steals the opportunity. We need to understand that. Uh, We need to be very careful how we live, not being like those with no understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom. So, for we are living in evil times. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. I like that phrase, spend your life for his purposes. You're spending your life. You're cashing in your life. One of the things I wrote to Bonnie is I said, Brent, Only lived 55 years, but he spent his life following Christ. And there are those that will live to be 75, 80, that will have not done as much living for God as Brent did in his 55 years. Celebrate that. Take comfort in that, that he was all in all of his days. So we spend our days, and they're going fast. And this idea of being so anxious that we don't move. Now, again, this is not dumb faith, blind faith, all those kinds of things. If we went and saw people who took a step of faith, we would see that God had prepared them for that moment, even though it was a challenge. We'll see with David more next week that he was prepared for what he was about to do. He was still not the champion. Uh, You know, it's, it's a miracle that David beat Goliath. Right? Did everyone know that? It's a miracle. That's why we have this whole idea of the David and Goliath story. So, you know, God was the champion, and I will unpack that more. So giving into it will leave you going just through the motions, and that's what we see for 40 days. Uh, You know, the sons are there, you know, of of Jesse. Uh, It keeps Goliath comes out day in and day out, twice a day. And everyone just comes, gathers, hears the same thing, just goes over and over again. 
And sometimes you and I get so anxious, so afraid that we just continue to do the same thing, continue to go through the motions and don't do anything. Don't move. See this early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. It's interesting. David has this responsibility. He's, he's making sure his sheep are taken care of, loaded up and sent out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other, same thing. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were doing. And we see that uh, what's going to happen next. But, uh, you know, they're just going through the motions. I mean, they're really, they're really pretending, right? I mean, it's the same thing. So when, when on day, day five did they realize, oh, here we go again. We go out to the lines. We say our thing. We hear them mock us. And then we go back for lunch. And then in the afternoon after our nap, we go back out, we drop our lines, same thing, and go back. It's just going on and on and on. It would be interesting to think if David hadn't showed up, would this have gone on for 50 days? 60, would they still be there today? No, okay. But, you know, would they just keep doing this because they were so scared? What are the habits and rhythms of life that you're stuck in because you're too scared? When you're a Christ follower, you have God in your life. You already have this champion. They may pretend to have a respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like this, for they are the ones who worm their way into the hearts of the vulnerable. Just going through the motions, they claim to have God, but when it comes to actually their actions, there's, there's no step of faith. There's been a few times in my life where I've purposely taken a step of faith because I've said, wow, wait a minute, I tell people on Sunday morning all the time, take a step of faith, take, you know, be faithful, God will take care of you, he's your champion. And then I don't, I haven't really done any of those things. I could, see if we had time, I could tell you about three or four things where I, I took a step of faith and it was, it was big for me, it was big for us and, and God showed up, but I wanted to not just talk about it, I wanted to live it. I wanted to be a part of my everyday life. They pretend. Giving in to fear will make you want to quit the fight. Uh, sometimes we talk about being in a holy huddle where we keep life wrapped up so tight and so we keep all, so there's no vulnerability in our life. Well, when there's no vulnerability in life, there's no faith. Again, it's not being careless with this. But a holy huddle where we, you don't mix it up with anybody else because you're afraid that, that you'll catch what they have, if you will. When it comes to the way they're living, we've got to be involved in people's lives. Don't quit the fight. Don't just go through the motions. As David was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance. Oh, same old thing. And David heard it this time. We don't know how many thousands of Israelites were there, but this time David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. They all didn't want to get into the fight. But David hears it, and something different is going in his life. Not because he's such an invincible champion. We're going to see times where God had come through with them against the odds. Remember, usually the underdog loses. 
Underdog very rarely wins. It's a surprise. That's why this story is such a surprise. Because David has a champion. He has somebody in his court, on his side, in his life. Remember a few weeks ago, the spirit of the Lord had come on him. If you are a Christ follower, you have the spirit of the Lord. You have a champion hardwired into your life. Wherever you go, you're walking with under the power of the champion. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, that, so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. We move down into Ephesians and start seeing the spiritual uh, tools, weapons that God has given us for the battle through the Spirit. David had these, and he's going to use these. He's just not going to stand on the sidelines. He's just not going to quit the fight. And again, he had no guarantees but his faith, but his past experiences. Sometimes you have to take a step of faith so that three years down the line, when the really big opportunity comes, you're ready. You've moved along the way. Sometimes people check out from their faith for five years. Another person doesn't check out their, from their faith for five years. And then you see both of them, and the fi person five is in a whole different place because they've been walking. They've been growing the Lord. They haven't checked out of the fight. So how do we get ahead of anxiety? I don't want to overuse this quote, but it's, it's, it's a quote that I read a couple times a week for me, so maybe I overuse it. Corey Ten Boom, look around and be distressed, look within and be depressed, look at Jesus and be at rest. That doesn't mean not doing anything, it means have a confidence and a rest as you step into your day, because you step into your day with the champion. So what do we do? We need to remember the benefits of following God. We need to understand that. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. That's the real line in there, huh? Wouldn't you like that one? Woo, I'll take that. We'll get into some of the more details of that next week. But this idea that following God, if David goes through this, if he follows his champion, if he walks out on there, there, there are rewards. Now, this is very materialistic. And in our day and age, some of those are nice. But I don't know about you, but I've lived long enough now because I'm such an old man. Uh, I've lived now long enough that materialistic things are fun and wonderful, but I really like the things of the heart. I like the things of uh, substance, the things that somebody, in a sense, can't take from my hand or I can't move. My walk with God is so much more valuable than all the other stuff. It's so much more valuable. So when it comes to following God, there are benefits. There are benefits to it. And we need to realize that. We can see what he's done in our past. A part of getting beyond it or getting through it is we need to be passionate about pointing to God. What really gets David's attention? Yes, he gets some good benefits. But what really gets his attention is the fact that this Philistine, the Philistines are defying God's name. That they're making fun of their God. And 
The Israelites standing on the sidelines are kind of a willing party of it. They're just proving it out. Your God has no power, and we're on the sidelines. So every time they call him out and they do nothing, it just reemphasizes that. And David is not that way. David asked the men standing there near him, what will be done? He goes on, and then he starts getting into this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, this person that has no relationship with God, that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this guy? And why do you let it keep happening? I think in David's mind, there should be a line. And if you're marching to your death, one after another goes out and dies, and then another one takes his place because this is God Almighty. If we go back in history, when we see some of our missionaries have gone around the world, we read this book, All In, and uh, we read that the early missionaries used to pack their belongings in a casket, in a coffin, because they knew that most of the missionaries going to some of these fields would catch something and would die. They, they just lined up, not because someone was defying God, but they wanted to bring the opposite, to glorify God, to point him so people would recognize him. About this one missionary, I can't recall his name, uh, he ended up not dying. He ended up living here, it looks like, 35 years. And in the middle of the, of the village, they buried him, and there was this little plaque that said, when so-and-so came, there was darkness. When he died, there was light. Boy, engage in the battle. Let your champion go before you. He's in between. And as you follow him, wouldn't it be great if people maybe didn't say it this way, but what they thought about you because of your champion was when that person came, it was dark, but now there is light. They repeated again the man who kills him. And uh, we see again this inside. David is Prepared inside, he realizes that it's not him. We could go back and see that when he beat these wild beasts, he gives God the credit each and every time. So he has an understanding of that, and he is able to march forward. Jumping down to the next point is don't let others discourage you from following God. We see this with David's older brother. David's older brother is just discouraging. We see when it comes to this whole situation, even Saul will eventually say, here, take my armor. You're, you're, you and of yourselves can't do this. And uh, David, no, I, you know, I can't, I can't, I've got to follow God, and I've got to be who he's made me to be. I need to follow that. I need to walk. I need to move through. I need to stay in the game. I need to have courage and strength, but the courage and strength doesn't come from my ability. It comes from who I am energized by God. So that means everyone in this room, everyone online, when you have said yes to Christ and you're energized by the Holy Spirit, he's a part of your lives. You move in, not just you and your abilities, but you move in with him. And that's why I love Philippians 4.13 out of the Easy read version. I don't like the name of the translation because it seems like something's wrong with it. But I love Christ is the one who gives me the strength I need to do whatever I must do. Sometimes people misquote this and say, I can do all things through Christ, which means I, I can do anything. I can like, you know, I'd like, like magic powers kind of a thing. But the idea here is that Christ is the one who gives me the strength to stay in the fight. 
to do what I need to do. It may not mean that the fight goes off. It's, it's, as I get in the fight, I win, and then it dissipates. Sometimes it's something we have to stay in for the rest of our lives. I need to do whatever I must do. Gave you this earlier on, but if God calls me to it, he'll see me through it. And if you really believe in the sovereignty of God, which we've already talked about, that God is in control, things don't catch him by surprise. The day Brent Carl was born, God knew how he was going to go home. No surprise there. And Brent himself would say, different words, but this is what he would say, if God calls me to it, he'll see me through it. And in those write-ups I gave of the family, you see that they believe that. Some days, it's only in their head, you've got to push it into your heart. But they, they believe this, and it makes all the difference. So when you think about your life, friend, you think about the giants in it, don't think about being all prepared so you can conquer that giant on your own. It's not about you on your own. It's the fact that you have a champion, one who's in between, one who actually indwells your life when you've said yes to him, and he will see you through it, whatever it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We're thankful for the way it instructs our lives. And this is where the big rub is. Help us to digest it, incorporate it into our lives so it becomes a part of who we are as you are a part of who we are. And we can live the life you've called us to live. And no matter what we're going through, no matter what's happening in our marriages, no matter what's happening in our finances, at work, with our kids, with our parents, whatever it may be, what's happening in our country, around the world, we know that if he's called us to it, he'll see us through it. And we're living our life, we're staking our life on it because ultimately that's where we're, oh, death, is your sting come unto prey. We have nothing to fear. Thank you for that. And if there's someone here who has not said yes to you, is wondering about what that means, I pray that in the rest of their time this morning, they would seek someone out, come down and see Fred and Pam, talk with them, talk with me, and just settle it so they can leave this place knowing they've said yes to you, and that you officially are their champion who stands in between the two. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.